This is Hard Beautiful Journey, a safe space to be open and honest, to speak truth and harness the power of vulnerability and sharing. Unravel the strength of connecting through conversation, from mental health, trauma and addictions, to grief and spirituality. This is the podcast to use your voice, because when you use your voice, you ignite your soul. I am your host, Tiffany Vaughn. Join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Hard Beautiful Journey. Remember how I said I love reading your reviews? Well, I do. And here is one that I received recently. I was so honored to be a guest on Hard Beautiful Journey, the heart and desire to impact the world that Tiffany brings to each podcast is inspiring. I can't wait to be able to hear more of the amazing guests she brings on and hope to one day be able to work with Tiffany again. Okay, to the person who left me this review, first of all, thank you. And second, I really would like to know who you are so that we can work together again one day. Today on the podcast, I have Emily Johnson. Emily is the co-author of the book called Bird of Paradise, and the story behind the writing of this book is a unique one. Emily's mom began writing Bird of Paradise when she was diagnosed with advanced stage cancer. And the beautiful thing is, she left the unfinished novel for Emily to complete. It's a story that I know is going to touch your heart. Here is my interview with Emily. Hello, Emily. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here with me today. What I wanted to start with for your interview is actually being honest and transparent with my listeners. You already know the story, but last week I was supposed to interview you last Monday And that was actually the four month anniversary of my brother's passing. And I was just not in a good place at all. And I emailed you and I actually uh, was dishonest with you. I told you that one of my kids was sick and that we would have to reschedule. And after I emailed you, I was laying in my bed, absolutely bawling and I heard and felt my brother saying like, honor your grief. It's okay to honor your grief. And so I emailed you back and I was honest with you and you were so gracious and understanding and compassionate. And I just wanted to say thank you for that because I just think it's important for people to honor their grief and where they're at and that it's a never ending process and that there's no getting over it. You just move through it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you again so much for your understanding. I completely understand. I've I've been there. (laughs) There's a, no, it was absolutely no problem whatsoever. So on to the interview and talking with you about your book. And again, I'm going to be transparent and open with you. Normally I read every single book that I'm helping promote, or I want to talk to the authors about, and this one I didn't, and I have it on my iPad. I downloaded it. I don't know, uh, three weeks ago, 
when we scheduled or even longer. And every time I went to go and pick it up, something kept saying, no, not yet. No, not yet. And I don't understand why, because I love, love, love reading. Like it's my jam. And then this morning when I was meditating, I finally understood why I was supposed to wait. And it's because your book is so different in how it came together. And I know a little bit about how it came together, but it's so unique. And I wanted to hear it for the first time, like my listeners are going to hear it. (laughs) And so that (laughs) I can't wait to read it now, but I honestly kept hearing, no, not yet. No, not yet. So I want to hear it for the first time, like everybody else. So we are going to talk about your book called Birds of Paradise and how it came to be. So where would you like to start with this? Do you want to start talking about your mom or your journey with writing? Um, Probably with my mom's that kind of led to my journey with writing um, completely unintentionally too. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so probably start with my mom. Okay. Let's start with your mom. Tell me everything about your mom and what she did with this book. Um, My mom was 43. She was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and they caught it very early as a, you know, PSA for self exams Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being in tune with your body. Um, But they caught it very early. They were able to remove the tumor and she went through radiation and things were just fine. Um, I was 13 at the time. So it's a little scary being told that your mother has cancer right at that moment. Whereas particularly as a girl, you need your mom. Um, To me anyways, my parents were invincible. Nothing could ever happen to them. And it's true what they say that you don't think it's going to happen to you until it happens. Mm -hmm. So after that breast cancer diagnosis, we kind of went on as a family. It was always there, but my mom was the world's strongest person. And she always said, I'm not going to worry about it until there's something to worry about. And then when I was 15, we got some very bad news and we found out that she had been diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. Um, It hid ovarian cancers. They call it the silent killer. Mm -hmm. You don't know that it's there until it's there. And the doctors have said, look, you know, statistically, this is not something that you're going to survive. You've got, you know, a matter of a year or two years, you know, we can't really tell, but women in your situation, you know, you need to get your affairs in order. And my parents were always very open and honest with me. My mom never wanted me to worry until there was something, like I said, to worry about. Um, But once they knew where things were, they never held back. And so I was facing that at the age of 15, that my mom was not going to make it very likely to my high school graduation. And she just refused to accept that, you know, using some colorful language that I can't (laughs) use on a podcast. She just simply said, cancer is not going to take me. And you better hope that I am there to walk down the aisle for my daughter because I'll accept nothing less. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being 15 and asking to be there at my wedding when statistically she had about a year is a big order (laughs) to make. (laughs) So she found some doctors after a lot of research that were really willing to look at her, not as a statistic, but as an individual case. And she underwent, oh gosh, over the years, she underwent probably about eight surgeries, lots of chemotherapy. Just when you thought things were getting better, something would happen. She always seemed to get diagnosed again with ovarian cancer, right at the time of my final exams. I don't know what it was. So I started dreading my final exams, not because I had to study all the time, but 
she had been a teacher for years. And so it was not uncommon to see us in her hospital room. She'd be 24, 48 hours outside of major surgery. And she'd have my textbook and my notes and she'd be quizzing me as I paced back and forth <laughs> in the hospital room. And the doctors and nurses used to laugh at us all the time because, you know, my mom always said cancer is no excuse for, you know, failing academically. Wow. <laughs> and I was lucky because I was a student at UNC Chapel Hill and that's where my mom was a patient. The majority of her care came from UNC. So I was able to be there all the time and not have to do this from afar, which is really quite a gift. Mm-hmm. And so I graduated from high school. I graduated from college. She was still there. She was there to see me walk down the aisle at my wedding. Oh, that's so great. And her two doctors that really believed in her and really, you know, helped her through this. They were at my wedding as well. Oh, wow. That is so good. So I had a chance to dance with them. And it was a very special moment um, above and beyond the obvious. And then when I was 30, December of 2012, she kind of fell ill all of a sudden. Um, it was not cancer. It was unknown for a while. We took her to the hospital and unfortunately she never came home. She, uh, she had it was kidney failure just from years and years of chemotherapy. Um, all of a sudden, right on Christmas, we found her, you know, on life support and she passed away. Um, 17 years past what they had originally given her. That is incredible. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. And it was all self-will. I mean, she never did anything unintentionally, you know, and, and at, at the end, you know, it's, it's a very personal story, but we had gotten to the point where my dad and I, you know, we knew we were going to have to make that decision about taking her off life support, which forever, you're always going to wonder, did I make the right decision? And my mom somehow just took care of it herself. She just right as they were putting together that paperwork, she let herself pass. And my dad and I never had to wonder, did we make the right decision? And so, you know, even, even at that point on life support, she was still <laughs> completely in control of what was going yeah. on. Um, and to this day, 10 years later, she is still in control of what's going on. So she is strong willed that mom of yours. Is, gosh, I just, if I could have a 10th of her stubbornness, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd consider it a success. So backtracking through all of that, when she was diagnosed with the ovarian cancer, she started writing a book and it was called Bird of Paradise. And she spent hours um, researching it, writing it. She never let anybody read it. She wouldn't tell me what it was about. All I knew it was it was a work of fiction. Um, I asked her one time, you know, what is it about? Can I read it? And she said, no, but you'll know eventually. And so she spent years and years and years writing it. And then shortly after her passing, I found a letter she had written. And in the letter, there was a copy of her manuscript that uh, was unfinished and a request that I finish it for her. And, you know, as she can imagine, there was a lot of tears because <laughs> um, this thing was her baby. I mean, she, yes. so I, you know, I sat down and I read it and it was just like continuing a conversation with my mom. I could hear her voice through it, through the characters. It is a work of fiction about a young girl who's 17 and it follows her over a decade of her life on this journey of self-discovery to find who she is and where she belongs in life. And it, it leads her to this place, not to give anything away, where she finds the love of her life. <laughs> so, you know, but reading it, it really all of a sudden dawned on me that this wasn't my mom just trying to, you know, take up time writing a book. This was my mom leaving me 
a gift. There is a lot of life lessons within the characters and what happens. There's a lot of experiences my mom herself went through at various stages of her life that was kind of a roadmap to guide me through my life. And it was all things that she didn't know she'd be here to teach me. So she put it into the words of the story. Hold on a second. I have like major goosebumps. (laughs) That is unbelievable that she wrote characters with experiences that she knew that you were going to probably be going through in your life. All of a sudden I realized why she wouldn't let me read it. Yes. Because I wasn't going to be at that place in my life where they would make that impact. And And if you know our family and you know us personally, there is little things here and there that are very, very true stories. I mean, I know what my mother thought of my high school boyfriend now, and it wasn't (laughs) good. (laughs) And as an adult, looking back, I can understand why. (laughs) Hindsight. Hindsight's 2020, yes. And the girl who has a 17 at the beginning of the book uh, lives in San Francisco in 1967. And my mom was 17 in San Francisco in 1967. So she wrote a lot from that time period. And as the book progresses the 10 years, there is that black and white point where my mom stopped writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think looking back on it, she stopped writing at a specific place. Cause I don't really remember her writing that last year. And I don't know if it's because she didn't feel well or what, but I like to think in my mind, it was completely intentional because she knew that I was going to need the rest of that story at some point. And it was therapy for me. I mean, it, it connected me to my mom for a lot longer than, you know, I would have otherwise. It's still, I mean, in black and white, my mom and I have this conversation that will forever live on these pages. And I was very adamant that it be her story from the beginning and that her style of writing Um, which was a whole nother challenge (laughs) that we can get into if you want me to. But, you know, she gave me no notes on where she wanted to take the story. She had written all but one character. I just had a name and what that character's role in the story was. Sorry. So she left you that name and what the character was. She left me that name and what the character was supposed to be in that story. And then she left nothing else. And I think she did that because she wanted me the freedom to write and take the story where I wanted to take it. And I like to think she would have loved where I took it. Okay, so who is this character? The character is Michael. The name is in the prologue. There is the prologue. I know a lot of authors are like, oh, no prologue. But this one had to be a prologue. So yes, his name is in the prologue. And he later comes in when the main character, Ariana, is an adult. And yes, yeah, so <laughs> he was a lot of fun to create. <laughs> No kid. Oh, my mind is (laughs) blowing right now because I I'm writing my own book as well. It's a memoir, but still I can't even imagine picking up where somebody else left off and like going with it yourself and trying to find the same writing style so that it, you know, it's cohesive. How did you do that? Well, it was difficult because by day I'm in marketing and advertising and I'm a journalism major. So by style, my writing has to be very to the point, not very descriptive, give the facts and move on. Her writing style is very poetic and very detailed. Wow. Even harder. And there's a reason why the book is 570 pages long. It's, it's a true saga epic kind of thing. 
And so I didn't want anybody to know where she's left off and I started. My publisher doesn't know to this day. Really? Where it is. The only person that knows is my father and it will stay that way. <laughs> so That is huge that your publisher doesn't even know. Yeah, I know my publisher didn't know. She never asked. The, uh, they never wanted to know, but they certainly would have let me tell them or they would have guessed. But I'm very proud that nobody has really guessed where it is. And so it was really, I first had to figure out what the story was going to be. You know, where was this character going to go from this particular place? And so I got that laid out kind of very journalistic like. <laughs> so it was just facts and places. And then it just had to kind of develop. And I've often described it as an oil painting where you just have to layer, you know, paint upon paint upon paint until you come up with something that is cohesive in terms of the writing style. And I actually wrote the very end of the book before I wrote anything else, because that came to me, I would like to say it was my mom. And it came to me instantly when I sat down to do this was I knew exactly where the story was going to end. And so I got to do that. And then it was just, you know, trying to, to get my part of the story down. And I can't even tell you how many drafts there are of this thing. And then it was going back and adding into things my mom had written so that there was a cohesive story and theme throughout. You know, a lot of books do have an overall arching theme. And when my mom had written this, she had a theme, but not fully flushed out to where it would make my part kind of connect back over. So I had to add in conversations and events and things like that into what she had written. And just so that this wasn't a thousand page book, I had to take out a couple of scenes that she had written, but it is hundred percent true to her story. Sorry. I'm just like, wow. Oh my goodness. I don't even know. Uh, this is incredible, honestly, because I'm writing my book and it's hard just even me coming up with words. So especially when your background is journalistic and facts, because I'm an accountant. So my <laughs> brain works the same <laughs> facts, black and white and finding the, the fill, not the filler words, but you know what I mean, where you make it easier to read. That is a challenge in itself. So trying to mesh those is absolutely something I cannot wait to read now. And I want to try and guess where you came in. <laughs> I took a page from her book, not, you know, pun intended, where she had so much detail and description of these things and these places and stuff. I decided and it was all stuff that she had really lived through. So I decided to take the book to places that I had lived through and try and leave my part of the legacy for my son yeah. in this, you know, and also take it to places in the world. She ends up in Venice and in Italy. And that is one of my favorite places to go. And so I was able to write from my experience there, which really helped develop the description because I could think back in my mind, the feelings I had and what I saw when I was there, mm -hmm. which certainly helps, which is why I will never be able to write fantasy because <laughs> I have a love of it, but I, you know, I can't go find dragons and, and things like that. I don't think I could either. So I know where my writing ability ends. Mm -hmm. That certainly helped being able to take it there. And the only place that this book takes place that's not a real place is the island. And a lot of people have asked me, where is this island? Um, that's something I'll never be able to answer because it was in my mom's mind. Yeah, probably based on true areas, but it's not an actual location. And it's 
figures so heavily in the book that it's almost a character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's the center core of this entire family that this follows and, and everything that happens in this book all comes back to the island. Yeah. And it sounds so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. I would love to visit it someday. <laughs> Maybe I'll find something similar someday. (laughs) You may find something similar. So what is maybe two or three of the life lessons that your mom wanted to leave in this book for you? Um, You know, one of the greatest ones and, you know, and something that she always tried to instill with me is that, you know, you cannot choose what happens to you in life. You can only choose how you respond to it. Mm -hmm. She could not choose that she got sick. There was nothing she could do about that, but she could choose to either dwell on it and say, okay, well, here's my end or say, I'm not going to let this beat me and I'm going to go on and I'm going to fight it. And same for me, I could have decided to dwell on the fact that my mom was facing a life-threatening illness and just let everything kind of else go and, and stop you know, living from day to day and worrying about it and constantly letting it sit on my shoulders. And there was moments where I did that. There was also moments where my mom had to do that. But overall, it was really learning how to take a very negative thing and make it positive. My family was incredibly close. I'm an only child. So we were always close. But I think one of the gifts, in a sense, of my mom having this long term, you know, terminal illness was the fact that we we were closer than I think most families are. My parents were my best friends. Mm-hmm. I spent my 21st birthday in New Orleans with my parents. I don't that think there's too many people lot. that can say that. Um, you know, we traveled together. We have these memories. And I'm not sure those would have happened in that meaningful way had we not been facing the fact that my mom may not be there to do this. Mm-hmm. And I still try and, and do that in my life today because there are things that happen and there's scary things that we have to face. And you can choose how you deal with the stuff that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. And then kind of another one really, and I know exactly at the point that she decided to write it. And I ended up expanding on this particular theme because I could look back as an adult on this conversation I had with her was learning how to live as an independent woman and never relying on a man or someone else in your life to give you your identity. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, one of the things that really just so stood out to me was this line that the mother says in this conversation, which is really one of the parts that my mom and I cooperated on together because I focused on part of it was that, you know, the mother said, I would be devastated if I ever lost your father, but she'd be able to survive it. She's stronger with him, but not only because of him. And, And that's true. I mean, it's, it's funny because looking back on it, you know, we all as young girls, sometimes make that mistake where you kind of your identity is to the person you're dating or the person, you know, you, you have a crush on in high school. And oddly enough, I I got to that point in my life where I said, you know, okay, I don't need to be in a relationship. I don't need somebody in my life. I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to be the strong, independent woman. And within weeks, I met the man that I ended up marrying. (laughs) My mom always said, you know, a man is going to be attracted to the strong, independent woman. And and you need to be able to be that person in order to find that love. And that is a theme throughout this of the girl, Ariana, learning to become that person. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. I wanted to read something that your mom left you. And like, I I definitely had tears when I was reading it. I know now that this is where my story ends. 
So I hope you will begin where I left off. I will watch over you through the good times and the bad. I will be there with you to share the joys of becoming a mom. And I will be there watching as you and Matt grow older together. And each night I will be there to whisper sweet dreams. I love you forever and beyond mom. Wow. Yeah, that was in the letter. That was part of the letter. And actually there is a significant portion of the letter she left me in this book. Is there? Oh my gosh. And it was something that, that a lot of the life lessons were in. And I just felt like, I don't know why, but for some reason, I just felt like sharing that portion of, of the letter that appears in this book. In addition, that was part of the um, dedication she left on the book. It is so beautiful. And every night she did say, sweet dreams, I love you for forever. She said that um, all 30 years of my life. She said that. That's so there. beautiful. So are you going to continue writing now that you've pretty much done one of the hardest things <laughs> in writing? <laughs> I really love to, you know, right now I've been so busy with, I freelance market and advertising. So it's kind of like owning your own business. So there's that. And then I have a seven-year-old who's incredibly active we finished virtual kindergarten last year. So I think I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> PTSD from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I have an idea for a book. It is one that actually is a spinoff of this. It would tell the story of the parents. Oh, cool. Because they allude to the relationship of the parents several times throughout the book. And enough to kind of give you an idea of where their relationship started. But I would love to write it that. I have it outlined in my head. I just either haven't had time or had the ability to get it down on paper. I've tried several times and then I keep hitting delete. (laughs) So someday I would like to do it. I can't wait to read this now. Oh my gosh. Like, honestly, when I was, I had my iPad in my hands and it's like, I want to read it. I want to read it. So now I know why I had to wait. The other thing that I read about you on your website is that you were fascinated by Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius. Yes. (laughs) And you actually did some intensive like schooling on that, right? I did. Yeah. From the time I was a little kid, I had this weird fascination about Pompeii. And there's actually a picture of me um, when I was probably about four, probably before I could read with National Geographic about Pompeii. And I was just looking at the pictures, I would assume. I don't really remember. But ever since then, I've, I've really had this odd fascination with volcanoes in general, particularly Mount Vesuvius and then yeah. Pompeii. And so I, in college... I needed to take a history credit and I had taken AP US history in high school, had passed the exam high enough to where I didn't have to take US history again. And so I found a class that was ancient archaeology of the Mediterranean region. So that became my history. And rather than just taking it for that one credit and moving on, I ended up taking it all the way through college with an incredible professor, Professor Terranato. I still remember him. So that like, I got a chance to study Pompeii from a real archaeologist in this really intensive study. And then I needed a science credit. And I'm not science minded, but they had volcanology as a science credit. That is unbelievable that they're both there. So I took a class about volcanoes. I fell in love with that as well. And they only offered one class for undergrads. So I went and got permission to take graduate level courses to fill elective credentials. So I got this chance to do that. And I'm so thankful that I did it because I'm not going to get the chance to go back and go to college. But those are things, they were some of my favorite classes. I mean, even outside my major, those archaeology classes are things that I'll never forget sitting in those lectures learning about. 
Absolutely. Well, Pompeii, like just in itself is something that is remarkable to, I can't even wrap my brain around it. Right. So the other thing that I want to talk to you about before we wrap up, because my husband would probably kill me if I didn't talk to you, you were in the marketing department of the PGA tour. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. anything to do with PGA tour and like, he would jump right now. How was that? It was amazing. I played golf since I was eight. I played competitive golf all through my junior seasons and I played in high school. Um, I actually played for the boys team for a while in high school. And then, and then I did play for a semester in college and, and just decided after that semester, I got mono my first semester in college, which kind of kicked back the whole golf thing. And I decided at that point that I never wanted to turn professional. So I was going to focus more on the college experience versus the early morning workouts and the traveling and things like that. So I ended up stopping. I didn't move forward with college golf at that point, but still loved golf, still played it. And then I got this chance straight out of college. My first job was in the business development and marketing department at PGA tour. And I worked with the corporate sponsors of the tournaments and the tour overall, maintaining those relationships and doing marketing throughout the PGA tour season. So it was combining two things that I absolutely loved. It was amazing. No kidding. That would be incredible. And I had a membership to TPC Sawgrass. So there was a lot of benefits. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did it. Oh my goodness. We actually have been to Sawgrass. (laughs) I love that course. Love that course. Yeah, it's a great course. And I I grew up around golf courses. I mean, I'm originally from Colorado where you ski. And then my family, right before my mom got diagnosed with cancer, within months, we moved to Pinehurst, North Carolina. So that's where I grew up from the time I was 13 up. So I didn't have a choice. Golf was going to happen one way or the other. (laughs) Lots of opportunity to golf in that weather there. (laughs) Yeah. Way more than Colorado. So where can people find you, Emily, and your book? My book is sold exclusively on Amazon. It's on Amazon Kindle and Amazon Unlimited and in the paperback. And then my website is Emily Johnson writes with an S dot net. <laughs> Definitely remember the dot net Emily Johnson writes without the dot net was not available. <laughs> um, and so that my website, it also links over to Amazon. It tells a lot of the backstory and there's a lot of pictures mm-hmm. on there of me and my mom, because she, you know, I want people to know that she is part of this as well. That is very important to me. So I want her to be in it as much as possible. I love that you included those pictures of your mom. You can just see the amount of love that you guys have between each other. And yeah, you guys have to go check out this website. (laughs) So I end every episode with what I'm grateful for. And speaking of moms, I'm grateful that my mom is coming here today to stay with us for about a week. And yeah, I really miss her. So that's what I'm grateful for today. And I'm obviously grateful that you shared this story with me and my listeners today. What are you grateful for? Well, I'm going to go with the standby of probably something that everyone's like, oh, that's so normal. But my family, family is so important to me. You know, my husband, I've got a seven-year-old son. My dad is still um, alive and he's still healthy and he lives an hour and a half away and he's a wonderful grandpa. Um, So just having the ability to have that family, you know, who we're healthy and we're enjoying life that I couldn't be more grateful for that. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for your time today and coming on my podcast and 
sharing this story of how this book came to be. And I know what I'm doing this week. <laughs> I'm reading the book. So thank you again. I can't wait to see what you think of it. <laughs> I'm going to be messaging you and <laughs> letting you know where my guess is. And you don't have to tell me. I just want to give you my guess. <laughs> It's been a lot of fun to see people guess, and I just kind of stay silent, but it's been a lot of fun. Can't wait. Thank you again, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. This is a story that I know is supposed to be made into a movie. I kid you not. Emily, you should really look into that. The love between Emily and her mom is so beautiful, and I cannot wait to dive into this book and try and figure out where her mom left off and Emily began. I have so much respect for people that write books now that I know how really, really hard it can be. And this is next level. I know without a doubt, your mom is so incredibly proud of you, Emily. And I really hope there will be a second part to this book one day. I am still hard at work on my book, as well as getting my soul group coaching program ready. I know I said it would be happening at the end of March. Well, a much needed vacation has made its way into my schedule in April. So I've pushed it to the start of May now, the week of May 9th. I will have the website page ready by the end of this week for you to see and sign up if you're interested. It will be a seven week program where we meet once a week over Zoom and I will be limiting it to 20 spots. Are you wondering how I'm able to get all of this stuff done? Family, work, podcast, book, coaching. Well, one of the reasons is because I have finally, finally hired a podcast producer. Leah and her team are so incredible. And I tell you, The day I hired them to do this work, the angels were singing so loud. Best investment ever. And I am so grateful for finding you, Leah. You have no idea. If you are interested in being on my podcast to talk about your own hard, beautiful journey, please check out my website at hardbeautifuljourney.com and submit the request form. And also, please be sure and stop by the Hard Beautiful Journey blog, which has all of the episodes, including show notes, photos, videos, and where to find the guests that I have had on my show. And finally, I would love if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star rating and review. I love reading these reviews on my show, and yours could be next. Until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.